0: Our scripture reading today is John 16, 16 through 24. David Wright will be reading for us. So as he comes in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Listen as I read. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking among yourselves? What I meant by the saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me again? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. So also you have sorrow now.
1: Um, So we're in a series called The Gospel Changes Everything, and uh, over these weeks, we're just uh, taking various subjects and uh, kind of seeing how the gospel speaks into them. And today is the subject of joy, and uh, maybe you could even broaden that out a little bit into the general category of of emotions. Um, We live in a a point in time where our our current culture is pretty emotionally uh, oriented, and so maybe in uh, generations past, we would be more likely to say something like, I think, uh, our generation tends to or our current culture tends to say a little bit more like I feel, I, I feel like we should do this, or I feel like this is the next uh, the next thing we should you know the, the next thing on the checklist. Or, it's more of a, a feeling than it is a, a thinking, and that's not all bad. God God gave us uh, emotions; they are a gift from Him, and so we're going to uh, wrestle uh, at least consider this subject of, of joy. And boy, we you know there's there's some things to uh, to have have joy about. Um, uh, Today is Mother's Day, and so um, that's uh, while we recognize that moms are are not perfect, we do on this day uh, take the time to celebrate and to to rejoice, to to have joy about this concept of motherhood and this idea that God uh, actually gifts the world with with mothers. Um, Maybe you've seen uh, in our communications that uh, starting at Pentecost, uh, we are going to have A hundred parties in a hundred days, and we'll be getting you more details on this. It's not that you have to go to a hundred parties, though some of you may enjoy doing that. Um, It's that as a congregation, we're going to come up with a little system where you can let us know if you're, if you're having a party or not, but uh, we want our congregation to have a hundred parties. Uh, collectively, so it could be a party in your neighborhood with your neighbors. Uh, it could be a party with your community group. It could be a party, just uh, just a party that you invite a random group of people to. We're going to have some churchwide parties, uh, but in response to Pentecost, in response to the coming of the Spirit, uh, we want we want to we want to celebrate and and so there's a uh, hundred parties in a hundred days. That's that's coming. So get ready, um, and uh, and and yeah, this 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 subject of, of of joy. I mean, don't 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 you want it? Don't you feel the longing in your soul? You know, I referenced when I got up here for the welcome that uh, on Friday night and on Saturday night I had uh, opportunity to be with people, and um, you know that's just been so limited over these last uh, fourteen or fifteen months, and just life-giving. So, so, so much fun. It's like you, 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 you. I don't know. You have this longing in your soul for like for joy. Maybe, maybe you even find yourself dreaming, uh, dreaming about it, or you know just expecting it. You know do you notice that? how humans can like expect life to be joyful, expect to have joyful experiences there 's something going on there that we have an expectation of joy. Uh, some of you know that we, we recently uh, had to put down our, our sweet uh, sweet family dog um, i 'll have a picture here for you in a second, but it, it was it was so so hard, uh, so hard to, to do it. Her name was Lucy. Uh, A yellow lab, Uh, we had her for uh, 11 years, and when the vet told us that we uh, needed to make this decision, we ended up with like six days uh, where Lucy was at our house, but we knew that this appointment was coming. And uh, those were really, really hard days Uh, and lots and lots of emotions. My wife and my four daughters and lots of emotions in me, which was uh, somewhat surprising if some of you have seen me interact with my dog. Um, But uh, it was I I had a lot of emotions that I was not expecting. Uh, And part of it is, uh, and I've gotten to share this with some of you, but the the loss of our family dog actually, uh, I began to realize, represented something. It represented the, the end of a chapter. Um, so let, let, me, let me show you. This is, this is our one our, our, uh, not long after we got that dog, um, my oldest was seven. Uh, she's the one in the yellow shirt, and then my youngest there in the orange shirt was one. So from seven down to one. Um, this is the last picture that we had with her, uh, where my oldest is 18, and my youngest is 11. 12. 11? 12. 11.) <laughs> Anyway, um, that's this is the last picture uh, with with our dog, and um, it's you know as you begin processing it, you just realize like th- th- this is the end of a chapter. My um, when we got the dog, um, you know we had one kid in uh, in like second grade. Um, in in a few weeks, my oldest graduates from high school. Uh, we don't have a kid in elementary school anymore. Um, yeah, you know I think over these eleven years that we had the dog and. My marriage, uh, you know, the, the nature of the, the growth and the deepening of my marriage from 2010 to 2021. Uh, the dramatic change in our church uh, from the year 2010 to 2021. And it just, it began to uh, compile in this reality that like, that's the best decade of my life that we had this dog. And so the loss of her was kind of associating uh, a lot of these things, like the, the, end, the end of a chapter, um, and so we did what everyone should do, and we went really quickly and bought another dog. And, um, and I've got pictures of that, too. So if, if you see the last picture of our family dog, Lucy, um, part of the reason why this picture, she has her tongue out. And the kids think this was so great. So we're like, we need to get another dog. So we start looking for a dog, and we find a breeder, and here's a picture of one of their puppies with their tongue out. And they mark them by the collar. So we're like, well, we need, to, we need to get purple. We need to get Purple Dog because she has her tongue out. And uh, as it uh, all unfolded, we actually ended up getting, getting the, the little puppy. And so this is a picture of her at our house, the next one. And so that's, uh, that's her here in, in Traverse City. She, we, we got her a week ago, a little bit over a week ago. And, um, you know, uh, the reason why I'm showing you these pictures is, um, I mean, it's, it's part of my story right now. But... Um, uh, when we, I think I brought the puppy over here to the office one day, and we were just talking about how it had been so good for our family. And like, uh, you know, while we still love Lucy so, so much, um, this, this new puppy has been in, in, just in, in an injection of, of uh, you know, maybe in some ways a distraction, but also just uh, kind of starting a, a, set, a new chapter. And I was sharing some of this with Dave, and I just said, you know, it's brought a lot of joy uh, in, into our house and, and Dave Lamb, one of the pastors on staff here, said something like, wouldn't it be awesome if every sorrow could be addressed by just buying a puppy? <laughs> and, you know, at, at this moment, I kind of think it might, actually. I, I think that, that might actually be the answer. Um, but no, seriously, you know, is, isn't that sentiment true? Uh, you may, maybe you can feel that in your heart a little bit, that it's like what, whatever, whatever trial you're facing or whatever challenge you're facing wouldn't it be wouldn't it be pretty awesome if you could buy a puppy and have it like have that fixed ha- have that addressed but that's that's not it's not how the the world works right i mean finding joy in in this circumstance you know buying a puppy has has impacted the nature of our emotional state at our house but finding joy like finding real joy joy that doesn't fade That can be a very, very difficult journey. And for for some, it might even feel like an impossible journey. So I want to take our time this morning and and look at this passage in John 16, where Jesus interacts with his disciples. Uh, This passage in John 16 is towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. If you're familiar with this section of the book of John, John chapter 15 is where Jesus teaches on the vine and if, if you've ever uh, done any of the study of, of like tracking Jesus' last couple days, there's reason to believe that when Jesus taught on the vine in John 15, it was actually part of his movement in the day or two before he was crucified uh, with, with, his, with his disciples. So John 16 very, is, is in very close proximity uh, to Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus is aware that the disciples, they don't have a clue of what's going on. Even though Jesus has hinted at this, he's talked about this multiple times, he has, he has told them that you know, he's going to have to suffer and die. Uh, he, he's, he's brought this to their attention, but the, the disciples really, they just can't quite get their arms around it. And so here in John chapter 16, in, in verse 16, uh, Jesus says to them, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Well, as you heard the text read, the next like three or four verses, it's just commentary repeating those phrases, basically. It's just like, Jesus said this, and then the disciples said, hey, when Jesus said this, what do you think he meant? And then John, the writer of this book, says they were confused when Jesus said this, and then Jesus says to them, you want to ask me about what I said? And so it's like four verses of just like rehearsing this one comment, and the comment is, in a little while, I'm going to leave. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. You're not gonna see me anymore. And then a little, little while, you'll see me again. And the disciples are confused. That's what you see in verses 17 and 18. They, they, they don't know what does he mean by a little while. What, what, does he mean that we're not going to see him in, in this little bit? Um, this is confusing. You know, the, the disciples are understanding Jesus as the Messiah. They, they are gaining some of that understanding. But it appears that they still have this recognition of Jesus as Messiah, meaning the Savior of Israel. This expectation that Jesus is going to to make Israel great again. He's going to overthrow their oppressors. He's going to reverse their suffering. But here he says he's going to leave. Remember, this is towards the end. They've been with Jesus for like three years at this point in time. This is a really crucial moment. They've got to be feeling like this is go time. We're actually in Jerusalem now. Like we're, we're, like we're in the seat of, of where this needs to happen. Like we need to, to raise up our, our, our warriors, raise up our army, and we need to make it, make it happen. Uh, but maybe you feel a little bit, maybe you can relate a little bit with the disciples in verses 17 and 18. When they look at Jesus and they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand the timeline. Like, can you relate with that feeling? Maybe not directly in relationship to John chapter 16 and the content that Jesus is talking about. But do you ever have this emotion towards Jesus? Like, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand the timeline. I don't know why you would let that happen. I don't know why you would do that. I'm 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 confused by this. I don't understand. Jesus, like we don't, we don't know what you're saying. Well, here's some beautiful encouragement. Jesus knows what they are experiencing, and Jesus knows what you're experiencing. He, he turns to them, and he's basically like, hey, I know what you guys are thinking. You want to just say it? You want to just ask me? Like, remember, I, 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 know, what you're, <laughs> I know your thoughts. Like, you, just, just say it. Just, just ask me. Ask me the clarification. Jesus knows what they're experiencing. He knows the frustration of doubt. He knows the fear that doubt brings. Uh, and he, he recognizes, he recognizes that it is going to be hard as he interacts with them in the next verses. He talks about mourning and lamenting, sorrow. He, he recognizes that this life has hard things, that weeping and lamenting and mourning. Th- these things are going to be part of our story. But it's also part of the Christian story. He says to them that you are going to weep and lament while the world rejoices. Jesus is saying to his followers, please do not misunderstand that following me is going to somehow result in a walk in the park, a bed of roses. He's actually telling them, as he has before, like following me is hard. At one point, he says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. He says, unless you lose your life, you'll never find real life. So Jesus has, has told them this multiple times. But here he's saying, like, I know fear. Like, I, know, I know you're afraid. I know you don't know. And I want, I, I'm not going to lie to you. There is going to be some hard things. Jesus knows better than we do, actually, that the world is broken. And Jesus never promises. He's never promised. He doesn't do it here. He's never promised an easy life for his followers. But still, you might say, this is confusing. What, what, what does he mean here? What, what does he mean in John 16? When is he leaving? How long is he going to be gone for? This is such a crucial moment in the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, the disciples basically saying, what are you doing, Messiah? If you still feel confused, well, welcome to the club. It's easy to get confused. What does Jesus mean? So what timeline is he talking about? Here's what I want to kind of toss out in front of you. There's at least three options of time frames that Jesus could be referring to in verses 16 up through verse 21. And here are some of the primary possibilities. One, the time between Jesus' crucifixion and Easter two the time between jesus is leaving what we call the ascension uh, matthew 28 tells us that jesus went back to be with his father the time between jesus ascension when he le- physically leaves the earth and the Pen- and pentecost when the spirit comes and, and dwells god's people and brings the presence of jesus in a spiritual way into our our hearts the third option would be between jesus ascension going back to the father and the second coming which even here in the year 2021, has still not happened. So on the one hand, it could be the window between crucifixion and Easter, what we would think of as resurrection, that Jesus saying, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. What would be emphasized there is Jesus' power to conquer sin, his power to conquer death and Satan. It's a three-day window. Jesus could be talking about the ascension to Pentecost, which would be this idea of emphasizing regeneration, that Jesus is headed back to the Father, and then 10 days later, the Spirit is going to come, and the Spirit is going to indwell God's people in a unique way, and it's going to make their hearts go from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Regeneration, salvation, they'll actually be made new. That's a 10-day window. And the prayer initiative that we're getting ready to do, 10 days of prayer, that's in between Ascension and Pentecost. The other gap that Jesus could be talking about is the, is the gap between his ascension and the second coming. And the emphasis there would be restoration, renewal. When Jesus comes back again physically the second time, that's when he's coming back, not as a suffering servant. He's not coming back to die. He's coming back to rule and to reign. He's coming back to fix all things, to wipe all sin from the face of the earth, to make everything new, to, to restore the world. See, here in John 16, for the disciples, all three of these sat in front of them. Jesus' death and resurrection, that hadn't happened yet. Jesus' ascension and the spirit coming on Pentecost, that hadn't happened yet. Jesus' ascension and the second coming, obviously, hadn't happened yet. Here we are in the year 2021, two of the three have happened. Jesus actually was crucified and rose again three days later. Jesus did ascend to the Father and then 10 days later, the Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost. But restoration? Oh, we, we're still waiting. Not only were the disciples waiting, they, they, and they all died waiting, we wait. We wait for restoration. We are waiting in a world that has been vandalized by sin. A world that is broken, a world that is not the way it is supposed to be. So these are the various time frames that Jesus could be referring to. And then Jesus said, so as, as, as hard as this is going to be, whatever gap he's talking about, as hard as that gap is going to be, all our weeping, all our mourning, all of our lamenting will be turned to joy. Look at the second half of verse 22. After all of their confusion, and then finally Jesus just says, you want to ask me? Just, just say it. Just, like, just ask me. Verse 22 um, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So as we think about what time frame is Jesus talking about? What gap? How long is he going to be gone? When's he leaving? What's the nature of this distance? What, you know, what, what, what's the situation? Whatever the case is, Jesus says that your weeping is going to be turned to joy. Now, it does seem like from the context here that Jesus is primarily pointing to the very first one, his his death and resurrection. It does seem like what Jesus is talking to the disciples about is this idea that he is going to die on the cross and he's going to be buried and they're they're going to freak out because the Messiah was just killed. And he's like, and you're going to mourn and you're going to weep and the world's going to rejoice. But guess what? You're mourning and your sorrow and your lamenting, it's going to be turned to joy. But here's the good news for us. The fact that Jesus is talking about that first timeline, that first time frame frame of three days in the grave, the fact that he's talking about that actually just emphasizes the implications of the resurrection. Jesus knows what his resurrection declares what his resurrection signifies. Only because Jesus conquered death are the other two timelines even valid. Paul, in one of his letters to the church at Corinth, he says this, if Jesus did not rise again, this is all a sham. If Jesus didn't rise again, then what are we wasting our lives for? What are we preaching for? What do we get up on Sunday mornings for? What do we care? If he didn't rise again, what do we care? So in other words, these three time frames, none of the other two matter if Jesus didn't rise again. And so what Jesus is pointing his disciples to is this reality that, yes, indeed, he is going to die. And there is going to be separation from him and those disciples. But he is going to conquer sin and death and Satan. And when he does it, he is actually going to begin the process. He's the first domino towards all of these other grand things happening. The Old Testament promises that says God is going to send his spirit and he's going to make our hearts turn from from stone to flesh. That he's going to send his spirit and he's going to empower his people in a way that they've never been empowered before. And then that long promised hope that he's actually going to make everything new. All things new. Maybe you're familiar with that quote that everything sad will come untrue. What good news. This is, and it's all rooted in the fact that Jesus' resurrection actually happened. You know, here we are on, on Mother's Day, and as I said a minute ago, like I'm reminded that not every one of us had a life giving relationship with our mothers. So some of those relationships are filled with incredible memories, good memories, and some of us are, you know, have, have memories that are, are hurtful. As we think about that, is that God's design? Is that God's design for parenting? Shouldn't every mother and child relationship be beautiful and loving? Shouldn't every relationship in the whole world be beautiful and loving? Yes. Don't you long for that? Don't you want every relationship to be right? Don't you want every relationship to just work? Don't you want to be in unity? Don't you want to be right? Well, the Bible says that that day is coming and that Jesus' resurrection was a pivot point in human history that opens the door. It opens the door for the coming of the Spirit. It opens the door for the soon coming renewal of all things. So This is the promise. Jesus' resurrection power is promising us that soon all things are going to be made new. But the fact that Jesus is referencing his resurrection is the evidence that the hope of the gospel is not just a waiting game. The good news of the soon-coming renewal of all things actually floods back into our current reality, and it invites us to change the way that we see the world. So I want to talk about kind of what you might say the backflow of gospel joy. Look at what Jesus' resurrection is meant to produce. Verse 23. He says, In that day... You will ask nothing of me. Now, the Greek word that's used for ask here, it has the idea of asking questions rather than asking favors. So Jesus isn't saying, uh, you know, on that day, you won't ask me any favors. The the indication seems to be what he's saying is, on that day, you, you won't have these kinds of questions. In other words, the resurrection answers the biggest questions about Jesus. And his followers will know that he was who he said he was. That he really was the Messiah. And a better Messiah than they could have even guessed. Not just a Messiah for one ethnic people called Israel, but a Messiah for the whole world. The Savior of the whole world. That he actually literally was the Son of God. Part of the Trinity. Part of one, the, the triune God sent in flesh here to live among us, to live the life that we should have lived, and then die the death that we deserve to die as a substitute for us. So what do we do with this news? Well, keep reading. Second half of verse 23. So 23, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What, what's Jesus getting at here? He says truly, truly, and that's, that, that Greek word is just repeated twice and it's, it's meant to be emphasis. He's like, pay attention to what I'm saying. He's not saying I haven't been telling you the truth and now truly, 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 I really am going to tell you. No, he means like this is, this is, this is an essential thing. Like, Don't miss this. I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father's name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing. Ask. Ask me. Would, would you ask me? Like, Think about how, how, how like a, a beautiful summary of the gospel this is. Just ask me. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are worn out, and I'll give you rest. You, you, you just have to come. You, you just have to come over here. Jesus says, just come ask me. Come to me. Trust me. Depend on me. You know, friends, we, we, we have more needs than we realize. Way more needs than we realize. And Jesus knows that. And he says, come ask me. This, the, 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 the One Accord initiative, the 10 days of prayer that we're inviting you into, you just heard it said, like, uh, one of the things that we're asking you to do is to pray for 10 minutes a day. Now, look, some of you pray for way more than 10 minutes a day now. And so th- this initiative is not saying, hey, um, we want you to like really, really like stretch yourself and pray for 10 whole minutes. But, like t- 10 whole minutes is, is a good target. We're trying to give you something that you can, in- you can partner in. And you can say, for these 10 minutes, I'm going to engage in this objective. I'm going to be part of this initiative with my church. But the posture of God's people should be a posture that's praying all the time. Paul actually says, pray without ceasing. What he means is that we we recognize that every minute of every day, I am in desperate need of God's work in my life. I I need him to be uh, engaged and aware of what's happening to me all of the time. We're not suggesting that 10 minutes of prayer is sufficient. We're saying dependence is necessary. Jesus is saying, ask me, talk to me. You've got to have dependence. You've got to recognize your need. And he says, ask. Ask with the awareness of our current world. Ask with confidence of what is coming. Ask so that God, who answers better than you could have ever imagined, will make your joy complete. Ask him. How could this be? What could we receive from God that would actually make our joy complete? You know, we just pointed to this a couple minutes ago. It feels so fleeting. Joy is so hard. You know, like a puppy, it, it, it works for a minute. But is, you know, is that, it's, can that really answer the biggest questions in my life? The biggest trials in my life? And the answer is no. A puppy can't do that. A puppy brings joy, but it's not solid joy. It's not unfading joy. What could make my joy complete? Well, let me point to two things. One, God could give you the confidence that your life is not meaningless. And secondly, God could give you the confidence that this life is not all there is. Like, what if the message that God wants to share with us on the pages of the Bible is that you are not an accident? That you're just not randomly here? That your life matters? That your existence matters. There's people in the world that it probably matters to, but it definitely matters to the God who created you. You, you matter. Your life matters. And that should, that should fill your heart with a, re- a level of gratitude and joyfulness, of thankfulness that you're not here on accident. This life is not meaningless. But right along with this is the truth that this life is not all there is. That when you die, the story is not over. Your life matters. You have intrinsic value. Your decisions matter. Your gifts matter. But look, some of us feel like our lives are a pile of mistakes and shattered dreams. And we look at life on this earth and we say, I'm glad that my life matters, but boy, I don't know. There doesn't seem like there's much hope in it for me. Maybe, maybe you've been diagnosed with a, a disease that is going to take your life. Maybe you have such trials that they're not going to get resolved. Like there's just no human way that they're going to get resolved. And you look at the rest of your life and you say, I don't know how to endure. I don't know how to get through this. Well, listen, God also wants you to know that this life is not all there is. That when you die, the story is not over. If you feel like your life is a pile of mistakes or your life is just full of shattered dreams, there is good news. As good as this life can be or as bad as this life can be, this life is not all there is. We are eternal beings. And there is an eternity to be had. And this is the good news of the gospel is that God took it upon himself to come here to address this problem. To actually make a way for our eternity to be with God instead of separated from him. Do you think that this world as it is, this life that the Bible refers to as a vapor, as a mist, it means that we get just a few decades. It's gone in a blink. Do you think that this life can actually fulfill your hopes and desires? God, in His grace, is telling you it can't do that. It can't fulfill that promise. Some of you know Tim, Tim Keller is, is my well, hes my favorite everything, I guess. But he's my favorite writer, favorite pastor. And, and he and his wife just were interacting with... Uh, Tim has been diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. And he's been going through these treatments. And he and his wife were asked about how they've been navigating it. And one of the things that they pointed to was the reality, the severity of pancreatic cancer is that it will likely take Tim's life. They don't know how long he'll have. But in having this reality that that he's, he's, I think he's 70 or 71, um, the the, the reality that he is going to die, what, what, what he said, is: this is he and Kathy, this is their quote. He said, the less we attempt to make this world into a heaven, the more we're able to enjoy it. And what he he means to be saying there is that when we turn good things into ultimate things, when we make good things our greatest hope and our love, those things will disappoint us. If you're looking at the decades that you get on this earth and you think that that is going to be sufficient to fulfill your hopes, to fulfill your desires, it will disappoint you. This life will disappoint you. But the more you recognize that there's more to the story, the more you can actually enjoy the life that you have. You don't strangle it. You're not asking it to do something for you that it can't actually do. You recognize that every day is a gift. You you, you recognize that every morning that you wake up, even with the hardships, even with the trials, every day you've got is a gift. And it changes the way that you see the world. Maybe you know the quote from Augustine who said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, holding on to these gospel realities, the fact that your life is not meaningless and that this life is not all there is, changes what we want. It changes what we long for. It changes what we think we need. It alters how we use our time. It informs how we uh, handle suffering. Uh, maybe some of you know the story of Joni Erickson Tada, but she's a, a paraplegic. She, w- she, was, uh, in an in- she was injured uh, as a teenager, I believe, and she has been in a wheelchair her entire life. And it, there's this, this beautiful, she's had this incredible writing uh, ministry, and she's had an impact on so many people's lives. And as she talks about how she's navigated suffering, these kinds of truths are the things that she clings to. The things that she holds on to is the fact that her life is not meaningless, even with the suffering that she's enduring. And part of the way she can endure her suffering is she recognizes that this life is not all there is. That This is just the beginning of the story. Often at funerals, I, I reference an idea from, from C.S. Lewis, who says that when we die and all the journeys of this life are over, we're going to realize That this life and all of its journeys were just the title page of a story that goes on forever and ever in which every chapter is better than the one before it. This is the Christian hope. This is what the resurrection of Jesus starts. This is what it, it won for us. This confidence that the Spirit would come and empower his people and that one day Jesus would physically return and make all things new. You see, the opposite of joy is not sorrow. Jesus is the most joyful human being ever. And you know what his nickname was? Man of sorrows. He was known as the man of sorrows, and yet he's the most joyful human who's ever lived. The opposite of joy is not sorrow. It's hopelessness. And hope, that is the gospel's wheelhouse. That is the gospel's jam. You you need hope. Look at the gospel. What is the worst case scenario for a Christian? We talk about it all the time here. The worst case scenario for a Christian is eternity with God. No sin, no sorrow, no sickness, no suffering forever. That is the worst case scenario for the Christian. Isn't that life-giving? Isn't that freeing? Isn't that joy-giving? Well, some of you might be saying, I want in on that. Well, I I got great news. It's a free gift. It is a gift given to those who will do what Jesus said right here. Ask me. Just just come. Come. The the most fundamental thing, the most important thing that Jesus will ever give you is a new heart. is the forgiveness of your sins. The restoration of your soul. All you need is need. You, you, You cannot earn this. It is way too grand. The price is way beyond anything you could scrounge up. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's a miracle that you are a Christian. Do you know that? It is a miracle that you're a Christian. And when we think about that, when we rehearse that, when we let that saturate our hearts, it is incredibly hope-giving and joy-giving. It's a miracle that you've been made new in Jesus. And When you grasp that, it changes everything. Let me finish with one quick thought here. Have you ever noticed, and because we're at church on a Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about religious people, um, but have you ever noticed how a lot of religious religious people are uptight, how they're they're fearful, uh, judgmental? Think about this. If you think that your relationship with God is all about rules or all about earning, We call this legalism, then you have a tendency to take everything, including yourself, way too seriously. And I've lived it. This is is a big part of my story for my first 33 years. And legalism steals your joy. And you wanna know why it does? One reason is that it makes your life a performance, it makes your life unknowingly, it makes your life a competition. You come to believe that you need to be a good person in order to get God to be okay with you, in order to get God to smile at you. That if you do enough good things, then maybe God will give you the thumbs up. Maybe God might not be disappointed in you for a minute if you can do enough good things. What ends up happening is this. You begin to look horizontally and you begin to compare yourself to other people because you want God's approval and you need to be a good person. Well, how do you know if you're a good person? If I'm better than that guy, if I'm better than that girl. Well, Ann Voskamp, great, great author. This is, a, this is one of her quotes, and it's, it's, it's an incredible quote. She says this. Comparison is a thug that robs your joy. But it's even more than that. Comparison is a thug that makes you a thug. And if you're living your life in this legalistic mindset, where whether you are actively thinking this way or not, if you're always trying to get God's approval, you have a natural bent to evaluate yourself based on other people. And when you live a life of comparison, it turns you into a thug. And that, it steals your joy, and you steal other people's joy. And the good news of the radical, scandalous gospel is that it frees us from that. The gospel tells us that we are not working for love, we're working from love. That we already have the smile of God upon us. And that what God says is the standard is Jesus. And you never measured up to that. Never one day in your life did you ever measure up to that. And yet, in Christ, God smiles upon you. It was never our performance that won God's approval. That means that we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. That means that we can actually hear criticism. And we can receive criticism. Because we know we don't measure up. We know we don't measure up to Jesus. And so when I get criticized, should I be surprised? It means that we can admit our sin and actually turn from our sin, not blame the person who pointed it out. It means that we can fail and not fall into self-loathing. If you're living a life of comparison, if you're stuck in the legalistic world, joy is going to be a challenge for you. But the craziness of the gospel wants to invite you out of that wants to recognize that because you have the approval of God, what is coming for you, the end of your story is no end at all. It's an eternity with no sin, sorrow, or suffering in the presence of Jesus. We can rest in the joy of knowing what's coming. Let's pray. God, thanks for this text. We, we thank you for Jesus being so kind and gracious with his disciples, so, so patient As they wrestle with their questions again, as they don't quite understand what he's saying again. And God, my guess is a lot of us can relate. A lot of us open this Bible and we read passages and we scratch our head and we say, Jesus, I don't know what you mean. Jesus, I'm not sure what you're talking about. But God, we have this incredible privilege of being able to look back at the resurrection being able to look back at your sacrifice, your son's sacrifice on the cross, his, his, his defeat of death and, and sin and Satan at, his, at, at the resurrection on Easter Sunday. God, that, that win, that conquering opens the door for all of these other glorious things to begin flooding in. We thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you for the soon coming renewal of all things. Would you let that flood back into this very moment? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.